Good morning, everybody. Woo, those of you in the lobby. Yes, you, I see you out there. I actually do see some of you. It's time to head into the auditorium. You don't want to miss out on arguably one of the best parts of the service, which is Brett giving the welcome and announcements. <laughs> Nobody has moved out there. Probably wise. Well, anyways, my name is Brett Michot. I am the worship and young adults pastor here at Life Community Church. And if you are new here, I want to invite you to go to our website, which is mylcc.info, and check out the little card that says Newish. Go fill out that card. We would love to get to know you a little bit better. That is mylcc.info, and then find the card that says Newish. If you are new here, uh, if you're not, feel free to go to the website anyways. It's pretty cool. We've got lots of resources there. Uh, a lot is happening this week. If you didn't know, today is Palm Sunday, which means that next Sunday we are celebrating Easter. So make sure to come back next Sunday morning. We will be celebrating Easter together. It's going to be an amazing celebration. Before that, though, don't forget Good Friday service is this Friday, April 15th, I believe. And we are starting at 7 p.m., we're going to have a special service that night, so we'd love to see you here. It's going to be a little bit more somber, a little bit more reflective, and then we're going to be celebrating on Sunday morning. Everybody got that? Okay, cool. In a couple of weeks, we are going to be baptizing some people. If you've been here before, you know what it looks like. We get the tub on the upper stage. People go in the water. It's awesome to get baptized. It's really cool. If you would like to know more about that, we are having our second baptism meeting over in the living room. It's this room right over here, right after the service. Like right after. So as soon as the service ends, head over there, and I'll meet you over there. I'm leading that meeting. It'll be a good time. And then those of you who are cell leaders, we're having our cell impact meeting after the service as well. Make sure to head over there. Uh, if you are a cell leader and you want to be baptized, go to the baptism meeting first. And yes, I am biased in saying that because I'm leading that meeting. But trust me, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure it'll all work out. Uh, but anyways, I'm going to ask you guys to stand because it is Palm Sunday. And we want to celebrate Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, which set in motion the eternal plan that God has to redeem all of humanity through Jesus' death and resurrection. And to celebrate that, celebrate Palm Sunday, we have a new song that we want to introduce to you this morning. It talks about how our life is defined by Christ being crucified. During Good Friday service, we're going to talk about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And it's, it can be hard to talk about, but it's, it's necessary to remember what he went through for us. I'm thankful that we can be joyful, we can rejoice together because it didn't end with him being buried. We want to sing about that, the excitement of Easter. rejoice together. God, we lift up that shout of praise to you. Amen. Lift it up to him this morning. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for who you are. And it's in your name that we pray together. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Amen. Well, we are entering here Easter week we, and we we do, we praise, we worship, we serve a living Savior. And, um, and that's what this, week, what this week means. 
um, that we are, um, we are here today, we are gathered together because Jesus is alive. And we have, um, we have the, the, the opportunity, we're fortunate that we're able to see the whole story. Um, we're able to see the whole story from, from beginning to end. And so we know that, um, that throughout this week, we'll talk about many different things um, as, as we gather on, on Good Friday and, uh, and reflect on the sacrifice of the cross. But we know that, that we'll be back here in a week to celebrate that Jesus is alive. Um, but today, we're going to look at, um, well, we're going to look at, at uh, it was mentioned earlier, but the Palm Sunday or or what's sometimes called the triumphal entry of Jesus. And I guess I just want to start by asking, how do you feel about parades? How do we feel about parades? I, I'm not a parade guy. This is, this is, we, I live in a split household on parades. Um, I don't know anyone who gets as excited about parades as my wife. Um, and it's become a thing over the years, you know, like the Thanksgiving Day Parade and those sorts of things to where I'll, I'll do anything I can to distract her from putting it on on, on Thanksgiving morning and um, but I, 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 don't, I don't get the appeal. Um, I'm, not into, I'm not into fire trucks. Um, I stopped eating candy that was thrown to me long ago. Um, so parades just aren't my thing, but, but parades have served like a, a, in history, have served a, a long purpose. Um, many times parades were, were set forward to, to show the strength or the might of a kingdom and a king and, and his, his military. And, and there's nations that still do that today. They parade out, out their, their munitions and their arms, and they do the whole thing to, just as a display of power. Um, oftentimes in scriptures, uh, we'll, we'll read about a parade in the Bible, and it's, it was a reflection of, uh, of, of the ancient world and the cultures that they lived in, where, um, where like a, a king who had conquered another kingdom would, would take all the spoils, and he would parade the spoils of that foreign conquered land in front of his own people as a way of sort of pounding his chest and, and, and announcing his authority. And oftentimes, the end of that parade, you know, we sort of reserve it for, like, highly esteemed, but the end of that parade, they would sometimes even drag the losing king along behind them. And, and, and parades in the ancient world were, um, they were festive, but they were far less family-friendly, maybe, than our, our parades are today. And today, we're going to look at, we're going to start by looking at this, this sort of kind of this famous parade in the Bible I'm going to look at Mark chapter 11, and it'll be on the screen. Um, but we're going to look at Mark chapter 11, and, um, and we're going to look at, at this, this parade where, where Jesus is, is, uh, is, he's kind of like the lone, um, the lone float in the parade. Um, but, but from there, too, we're going to look at what happens immediately after that, um, immediately after that, in the days after that, that first day. So let's, we're going to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 and verse 1, and it says this. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. Okay? Now, we get, there's, a, there's all kinds of stuff going on in, in these sections, these passages. Um, but just a, a quick overview in the book of Mark, uh, it's, it's generally believed the book of Mark of, of our Gospels in the, the New Testament, the book of Mark was the first one written. It, it, it gives sort of a, um, 
the best way to think of it is maybe like the scrapbook view of, of Jesus' ministry or uh, maybe the home videos where, you know, if, if your home videos are anything like mine, when, kids, it's like, when my kids were little, it would be, you know, three minutes of this and then 45 seconds of that and no transitions between that make any sense. It's just sort of like boom, 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 boom. And, and in, in Mark's gospel sort of does that. It, it goes through these events in Jesus' life and sometimes it, it says like, and straight away. And then other times it just says like sometime later and on it goes, Okay. But, but the, 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 the gospel of the, the, the good news story of Jesus in Mark, it, it really um, it crescendos to this, this point where Jesus is confessed as Lord, and then from that point forward, he moves forward to, to this moment, which is, which is to the city of Jerusalem. So it begins uh, in the region of, of Israel, it begins in that northern Galilee section. He spends a lot of time up there, and then, and then the, way, the way Mark tells it, probably through uh, the apostle Peter's preaching is where Mark was getting his stories. Um, that, that Jesus and his followers, when it said uh, in, in verse 1, that now when they drew near, it's Jesus and his, his immediate disciples, those followers, they went south to Jerusalem. And so they're, they're, they're south, they've, co- they've come to Jerusalem, they're in this region of Bethpage and Bethany, these are little regions outside um, Jerusalem. And, and that's, that's where, like, kind of the whole story of Jesus had been heading geographically, was to a place, it was headed to Jerusalem. And now they're there. So keep reading with me. So he, uh, well, look back. He, so, sorry, I do want to hit this. So, so they, he says, he tells them, you know, this is a little strange. Go, you're going to find this colt, this, this, this young colt, and, and, and no one's ever sat on it, okay? Never been ridden. And, and you're going to untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just tell them the Lord needs it, okay? <laughs> the Lord needs it, which I think, I mean, I've tried that. It doesn't work, you know, like, um, <laughs> where'd you get that drink? Oh, the Lord needed it. Um, you know, who, who ate the last ice cream sandwich? The Lord needed it. Um, it, it doesn't have the same effect these days. Um, but, but it is an interesting phrase because the word Lord there is a specific word. Um, Lord, Lord would be the same word that would have been used when they identified, like, the ruling lords. Like, it would have, been identi- it would have identified Caesar, like Caesar was Lord. Um, and so to say that the Lord needs it, you're saying, like, oh, I'm taking it upon the highest authority. Okay? I'm taking it upon the highest authority. So just tell them that. <laughs> okay, verse 4, read with me. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And, and some of those standing there, predictably, said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. It did work. Keep going. Verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt, on it, and he sat on it first one to sit here, and, he, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut from the fields. This is, there's this parade, right? This parade. So they, they, they mid-shift, like, uh, um, they, there's, no, there's no saddle to ride, there's no, he's riding just on these cloaks on the back of this colt, and he's, he's headed on his way, and we're going to keep reading. Verse 9, those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. There's this song that rings out, right? They sing. There's this praise to, to, to Jesus. This is a moment, right? This is a moment. Um, Jesus, it's, it is clear to us. It is clear to us that, it, that at least localized in this region, Jesus was a, a, a figure of popular appeal. The people were behind him. They were with him. Now, we're going to keep reading, and we'll see more to this story, of course. There's always more to the story. But at this moment, at this moment, 
Jesus is, he's riding this colt, he's headed into the city, and everywhere he goes, all along the road, the crowd continues to amass with him. And they're singing and they're laying a path for him to walk. And, and that last phrase, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is a powerful phrase for them. This is a powerful phrase for them. The region that he's in, the region he's, that he's in, this area just south of the city of Jerusalem, this was the land of David. David was the greatest of kings for the Jewish people. Like he was, he was the king against which all other kings were compared. The good kings were like David. The bad kings were kings not like David. The, the prophetic word of God, the covenant, the promise to David and his line was that, that, that God was going to establish David's throne that a ruler in the line of David was going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem forever. That was the promise. And so when these people are saying, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, they're looking back a thousand years to promises that had been made to them, to them as, as a people group, but specifically to this king. And they're seeing the fulfillment of those promises in Jesus. Now, mixed in with that, there's an awful lot of stuff, right? These were people that, that lived in a land that had a foreign invader who'd come in and, and taken their homes, taken their land. Had allowed them to live peacefully as long as they didn't cause a lot of trouble. But every once in a while, trouble would pop up, pop up and that, that foreign invader would come in and swat that, that, that trouble back down. These were people that, that, that many of these people would be people who lived just day to day. That they, 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 didn't, have, they didn't have the means to, to, to be able to sustain their life beyond just their daily bread. Thus, it's part of the, the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide us that. And so when, when but when David is called upon, the name of David, they're calling upon the high point in their nation's history. This is the climax of our nation's history. This is when we were at our best. This is where we want to return to this. So, so buried in this is, is there, there's, there's something for, about who Jesus is and what he's doing, but, but calling on the name of David here for these people would have carried all kinds of, of national identity, there was a narrative behind it that God was going to restore the conditions that existed under David, that that's what the coming Messiah, the coming king who would sit on the throne would do, that he would, he would kick out the invaders, he would, he would establish that throne, and that, that, that would be, it would be present again. And it was especially poignant in that region. This is the region where David lived. This was his home that Jesus was traveling through. From, from ancient times where he would, have, he, would have, he would have called his home. And so this is what they're praying, or, or singing, crying out. Verse 11, he, so he, Jesus, he entered Jerusalem. So he, the, the, parade, the parade seems to end. I think sometimes we, we envision this as like in the city of Jerusalem. And I, I'm not sure that that's the case. I think they get to Jerusalem and the parade kind of ends and Jesus and probably the crowd goes with him. But, but the warmth of the welcome was probably started to be, was muted a little bit, right? 
They entered, they entered Jerusalem, and, and he, he, Jesus, went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was all, and, sorry, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12, okay? This is, I, I think this is interesting, okay? I think this is interesting. So Jesus, he, he, he parades through these kind of suburbs of Jerusalem, okay? Parades through these suburbs of Jerusalem amongst kind of the people of the land, okay? Just the everyday folks. And they welcome him as a king. And he gets to Jerusalem, the center of power, okay? The place where the pro- in order for the promise to be fulfilled, it had to move from Bethany and Bethlehem, and, and it, had to get, it had to get into Jerusalem in order for the, this promise to be fulfilled. And he goes into the temple, and rather than, rather than casting out the powers, and that day he stops and he looks around and he takes it in. And he leaves, okay? He leaves. And that's the first day of Passion Week or Holy Week, right? That's the first day. I want to keep reading because it doesn't end there. But before we move on, remember, Jesus looked around. He took it in. He saw what was going on because what we're about to read, it could seem like Jesus has a bit of an emotional response. And I don't think that that's the reality. I think Jesus, Jesus looked around, he took in everything he was seeing there in Jerusalem and in the temple, and he, he calculates what's recorded next for us. It was a decision. He was intentional. So keep reading with me. Still in Mark 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. It says, on the following day, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, so they came back from Bethany, he was hungry. He was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Nice detail, okay? Fig tree, it's got leaves, but no figs, okay? Easy enough? Verse 14, and he, Jesus, said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. <laughs> that, okay, Jesus says some weird stuff, right? But, but this is strange. This is strange. He, there's a fig tree. There's no, it's, it's not the season for, why should it have figs? But Jesus wanted figs. Okay? He wanted figs. There weren't any, so he curses the tree. Nice story. We got to keep reading. Okay? Verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So he goes back in the temple. He curses the fig tree. He goes back into the temple, and he, he goes on like kind of a, 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 a tirade here, right? Like he starts to toss people out. He drives them out. Other gospel accounts of this have more detail, and there's talk of a whip and different things like that. Jesus, he, he got, he was very forceful about what he does here. So he, he drives out the, the, the buyers and the sellers and the money changers, and, and this is just something that kind of had happened over hundreds of years in this location, right? Like, people from all over the land would have been there in order to, to participate in the religious practice of the day. And when they got there, it was easier to buy the necessary sacrifice than to bring it with you from home. And so enterprising people began to set up shop right there. I can sell you what you need. I can sell you the lamb you need. I can sell you, that mentions, the pigeon you need for the poor. Okay? But of course, the, the, the culturally, there's more to this. They were charging a pretty high rate. Okay? They were taking advantage of, of people who'd come a long way, 
And, and that's happening in the, in the temple. And then you have, it says, you know, the money changers. So there's people just exchanging money, okay? Charging a high rate to exchange money from, from one to another because you had to, you had to pay the temple tax in a particular, uh, a particular currency, and it wasn't the currency of the land, and on and on it went. So people were profiting off of the need of those who were coming to the temple to worship. Keep reading, verse 16. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them. And if you, the temple is a large place. This had to be a scene, okay? Much, much larger than, than the room we're in, okay? He wouldn't allow anyone <clears throat> to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. No one passes through. And he, he makes a comparison. He says this. He says, it's, this place was set aside. It was set apart for a purpose, prayer. And you've made it a place of theft, of robbery, right? He says, you come here, people come here to meet God, and you come here to turn a prophet. This is a place to be solemn, and you're looking at it just with pragmatic calculation that you can get something for yourself. This is a place for, for generosity, for, for great giving, and you're just looking at it for the opportunity it provides you to pad your own income. Harsh words. Verse 18, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it. These would be the people who are profiting the most off of this system. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. So, so Jesus makes a scene, right? Jesus makes a scene, and there's no mistaking what's going on. People are listening to him when he speaks, and the power brokers of the day, those who are most heavily invested in the system, those who benefit the most from the system, they want to kill him. Right? Now, of course, there were religious differences between the people who, that, that wound up killing Jesus. Like, of course, they didn't believe he was the Messiah, but you would also better believe that these were self-interested people. These were people who had, who had a religious system that, that had been built over many, many years that they just kind of got in line with people who had, who had built this system prior to them. They got in line in that system, and they were benefiting from it, and here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. And he's disrupting the system. He's disrupting the system. He's placed a, a, an economic embargo on the temple. No one's coming or going. No one is doing business in the temple. And, and the people who would benefit from it are losing their profit for that day. And, and understand, if it goes on any longer, if it continues, these people are going to lose their profit long term. Jesus was, again, of course, there were differences of theology, of, of, of belief between the, the, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and, and Jesus and who he was and his identity. But there were also just socioeconomic differences. Jesus was not just an enemy of them theologically. He was an enemy of the state as far as they were concerned. And they wanted to do something about it. Keep reading. Verse 19. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So catch that. That's a, that's a, that's a day. day. The first day in our story, he, there's the parade. He comes in the, 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 into the city. 
the second day he goes in and he clears out the temple and he, he, uh, he, he preaches and the people listen. Verse 19, or verse 20, sorry, so they come back. This is another day. As they pass by in the morning, so this is the next day. As they pass by in the morning, okay, the fig tree's back, right? They saw the fig tree withered away at its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Well, that's fascinating, right? So he curses the fig tree for not bearing the fruit that it wasn't in season to bear. Okay? Remember when I said, like, I don't think this is a temper tantrum or just a tirade. I think this is calculate. This was intentional. So he curses the fig tree. He, they come back, and now it's withered all the way to the root. This wasn't just like, gosh, it's losing some leaves. This is like living tree, dead tree. And they noticed. Okay? They noticed Peter speaks up. Keep reading with me. Verse 22. And Jesus, here's, how, here's what he says. This. Jesus answered, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Okay? Now, they look at it and they marvel at the miracle, right? Like, like, Curse this tree. This tree is cursed. It's never going to bear fruit again. The tree is dead. And Jesus says, have faith. Have faith in God. Believe in your heart. Believe in your heart. Now, the alternative here is clear, right? Like, we, we have, what Jesus is saying is, there's a, there's a way to look at the work of God. But he's going to, before we dive more into that, he's telling them, this is the right way to look at my work. Believe in your heart. Not just go through the motions. Not just position yourself like, like rightly within religion, but believe. And if we believe, if we believe, nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. Now, we say a lot about the hyperbole of the statement and why would we ask for a mountain to be thrown into the sea? And I don't know the answer to all those questions. But I know what Jesus is telling us. And he's telling us that in contrast to the religious system of the day where they went through the motions in order to just sort of sustain the system or they had so married the religious system of the day to other outcomes like power and the economy and other things, he's saying there's, a, there's an alternative. There's an alternative to the way you're seeing it done here. And that alternative is real belief, is real belief. For them, the temple had become simply a means to an end. The temple had become, for some, a means to an end. And Jesus says it was never meant to be that. It was never meant to be that. These last couple of verses here, verse 24 and 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Pray and believe. This is the posture. Pray and believe. Stand and forgive. Pray and believe. Stand and forgive. Prayer and forgiveness are the tools of God's kingdom. And what had happened there, what had happened there in Jerusalem, in the temple, is that they had used the, the tools of the world to try and advance the kingdom of their own lives. Do we catch that difference? 
Jesus says, my tools are prayer and belief. Prayer and belief. Those are the tools of, of my kingdom. The tools of the kingdom of the world. It's economic power. That's the tool of the kingdom of the world. It's political power. Those are the tools of the world. So what do we do with this picture? This, this account, okay? And you're going to have to indulge me for a minute, number one, because you need to know this, but number two, I've got the microphone. I'm going to talk to you about something called a Markin sandwich. I'm only going to talk about this for a minute, okay? Um, this is a, it's, it's a way of understanding what was happening in the Gospel of Mark, where Mark often takes these kind of stories that don't seem to make sense together, and he puts them right side by side in order to say something about both, okay? And so it often just looks like this. You have passage A, passage B, and then it kind of returns to passage, the topic or the content of passage A again. It happens all throughout the Gospel of Mark. It's very clear here, right? This happens. You have the fig tree, okay? You have the clearing of the temple, and then you have the fig tree again withered. It's just called a Markin sandwich. And it's called that, I think, because they had nothing better to call it, okay? Um, it sounds better in the original Greek. I, I don't know that it does. I don't even think there's a term for it. I think this is an English construction. Okay, but, but it, it, you see what happens. And so in order to understand, in order to understand what's going on with the fig tree in the temple, or you have to understand what's going on in the fig tree, you have to understand what's going on in the temple. In order to understand what's going on in the temple, you have to understand what's going on with the fig tree, Okay? So let's talk about the tree in the temple. I want to get to the heart of this because I think this has some really potent things for us to say or for us to hear right now, right now in our lives and what we're, what we're living. What we're living. So, so these things seem so disconnected, but they're put together to speak to the deeper truth, the deeper truth. This curse on the fig tree is related to the cleansing of the temple. We don't, temple, we don't often understand it fully, but I think there may be more than this, but again, time and and a long tradition. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about three things, okay? Three things. There's no alliteration, I promise. Number one, the first thing that we find out here is that God is doing something new through Jesus, okay? This may not come as a shocker. Um, hopefully, this is something that we sort of can just agree upon. God is doing something new through Jesus. This, there is this, this dynamic parade, this entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And he comes face to face, at the end of that parade, he comes face to face with the old way of doing things. He looks around. He takes it all in. And I, I can't help but sort of read into the mind of Jesus a bit for him to say, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be different. This temple, this house of prayer that they've turned into a den of robbers, it's not going to be that tomorrow. It's not going to be that. You see, the temple represented so much for them. It represented, obviously, had become this sort of, this, for many of them, this, this center of economic activity and power. But it represented the law. It represented their religious system, the way of life. It represented this, this code that they had to follow in order to have a relationship with God. And part of what's going on here is that there's a prophetic word in this that's running parallel to some of the things that I think are just at the heart of it. But, but just as the fig tree withers and it dies, 
that temple was only going to stand for a few more decades and it was going to be destroyed. It was no longer needed. It wasn't needed. The, the barriers that the temple presented for, for people to come to God were done away with in the work of Jesus. You see, Jesus was doing something new in the name of God. That's part of what we find out when we look at the tree in the temple. That, that in many ways, the temple was like that tree that had leaves. It had the appearance of life, but it had no fruit. It wasn't producing life. It looked like it would, but it didn't. And I want to say to us today, when we enter into this season, this week, where I hope that we all take time to reflect seriously on the work of, of God through Jesus, and we come back to celebrate the resurrection, that we, we still believe that God still does new things. He still takes systems that we have broken, that maybe we're not even responsible for the brokenness in them, but we experience them in a way that, that, that reflects the brokenness of the world we live in, and God still wants to do something new with those things. He wants to make them new. He wants to, to restore relationships that are broken. He wants the orphan to find a home. He wants the systems of our world that say that power is the only way to get what you want. He wants to see that cynicism shattered in exchange for the hope of new life in Jesus. All that stuff might look like it's healthy. It might look like it has life from a distance. But when you approach it and get to it, there's no fig on the branch. There's nothing uh, to nourish us there. I think God is still doing new things. We aren't bound to just go through business as usual. He wants to upend the systems. He's still at work in that way. The second thing I've alluded to in this, but the appearance of religion is not faith in Christ, Right? The appearance of religion is not faith in Christ. Just because the tree looked like it had fruit doesn't mean that the fruit was there, right? Just because there was a lot of activity in the temple and sacrifices were being made and offerings were being given, it doesn't mean that what was happening at all points in time there was faith in God. And I think that's a very real thing for us to reflect on. In my life, the fact that I'm involved in a church doesn't mean that I've, I'm trusting Christ with my life. The fact that, that I even have a, a platform to speak to you doesn't mean that I'm submitting to Christ in, in, in his life in, in all the, the areas of my own. It's just true for all of us. We can get in line with systems of the world that convince us that the world's way of doing things are effective, and so let's just keep on with it and maybe put some Jesus in there too. But that's what was going on. That's what was going on in the temple. They, again, 
the people that were, that were making a profit at that point, they, they weren't the ones responsible for initiating the system that led to their benefit, but they certainly did benefit from it. And it was definitely a factor in their hostility towards Jesus. And I think you and I need to reflect on the state of our heart and the areas where we're hostile to the message of Jesus. Is it because it's going to disrupt the things in our life that are profitable for us or the things that make us comfortable? Because that's the place where Jesus wants to do his work. Last one, we're almost out of time too, so... It's a serious matter when we use God for personal gain, right? This isn't a small thing. It's not a small thing when we, when we sort of play, play religion, play church, and then leverage Jesus in order to benefit ourselves. That's not a little thing. The, the, the moments in Jesus' ministry, we see him with, with so much compassion for people who do the really bad things that we think of, the sexual sinner, right? Like, like the person who's just completely lost and denying, like Jesus has so much compassion there, and he steps into the church of the day, he steps into the temple, and he says, no more. I don't... I'm not going to abide by allowing you to continue to profit off of the name of Jesus, or the name of the Father, in this case, the name of my Father. I'm not going to allow you to continue to, be, to use God as a lever to pull to just make yourself better off. It can't be that way. Because there's something that, that's that we know is true. In, um, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says it. And uh, it's, it's repeated in other places. But in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, he's talking about money, but he says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve money and God. In the end, what winds up happening is that God winds up serving the pursuit of money. That's what happens. You can't serve two masters. And you see, I think what was happening in the temple is they were trying to serve money and God. Now, it makes perfect sense, right? I can just, I can turn a prophet while also honoring God. And he goes, yeah, but if your master is the prophet, you can't have it. You can't have both. You either serve me or you don't serve me. And I think what we see in this story, what we see in this account, is that this, isn't, this is no small matter. It's the kind of thing I feel like we just sort of kind of go like, uh, yeah, it's a problem-ish, maybe. But Jesus is clear, not in God's house. This is not the way it ought to be. And so I don't know what necessarily it could be for you, but, but clearly money is one, right? Like, like, I want to serve money, but also I want Jesus, and in the end, money's going to win. But it could also be power politically. I, oh, yeah, I want Jesus, but I also want this. Yeah, here's the deal. 
You can't serve two masters. Ultimately, we wind up serving the other. If you're, it, it goes into every area of our life. It, it, it's, if, I, if I choose to serve my marriage before Christ, I wind up not serving Christ. As a parent, if I, if I choose to serve my children as opposed to, to Christ, like I wind up serving them and not him. We don't get to have it both. What the new thing, one of the, one of the ultimate changes that Jesus brings into the world is this. I'm, he's coming for everything we've got. He's not going to stop when we feel like we've given him enough. He wants it all. And this is, it's evident throughout all of his teaching, and it's clear here that there's a way to put on that looks like we're alive, where we've, we've sort of tacked Jesus and re- religious life onto the, just the way that we live, but in the end, there's no fruit to it. There's no fruit to it. It doesn't reproduce and give life. And he came that we could have life and have it fully. So I I ask us today and challenge you to, to, to really be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with those in your group. Are we trying? Are we trying to serve both? Are we trying to have it both ways? Are we trying to look alive and at the same time serve a different master? It's part of the message of Easter week. It's part of the message. Jesus is entering as a king. And if he is the king, if he is Lord, if we say, Hosanna, glory in the highest, He's coming for everything we've got. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that you've you've revealed yourself. And Jesus, I thank you for the work that you've done. And I thank you for, for showing us more and more of who you are. And God, um, today we just um, pause and, and confess that that I'm, 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 really, I'm really adept at looking like it's together when I'm really pursuing my own ends. And God, I know your grace is big enough to cover that. I know that you, you love us. But God, we also ask that you would help us, that you would show us the areas, the places, the, 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 the blind spots, the things that we're pursuing and trying to, trying to make compatible with you and ask that you would, you would give us the faith necessary to let go. And Jesus, we know that you know it's hard. but we ask that your your grace would be with us and spirit, your strength would guide us. And and, um, we pray all of this 
In your name, Jesus, and thank you for your sacrifice. Amen. Will you stand and worship with us one more time? All right, you can stay standing. I'll be quick. Um, just a couple reminders. Number one, there's a baptism information meeting right after the service. And uh, if, you're, if you're like, I, I just, this word, like what are we even talking about? That's the point of this, this meeting. So just, it'll be right over here on the side. But another piece of that I would say is if you're in discipling relationships with someone, if you're in group with people, like this is a, this is a good thing to talk about in that space too. Um, so it's not just about the person who hasn't been baptized and, well, I hope they listen to JR and go do the thing afterwards. It's about discipleship and, and coming up next to somebody and being like, hey, let's talk about this. Or perhaps in group this week, it's the icebreaker, right? Like, so, baptism. And, and, and for those who have been, you can share the story of, of what surrounded that. And for those that haven't, it's a chance to talk that through together. All right. Hey, Another couple reminders, we're looking forward to being together with you guys on Friday for Good Friday at 7 p.m., back on Sunday next week for Easter and Easter celebration at 10 a.m. And then uh, we have a Cell Impact meeting today, so all of our group life leaders and partner leaders, you've got five minutes to get over to the youth area. All right? Have a great morning.